Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Our first preacher tonight is a woman of faith and science, a woman of passion and relationships, a woman with a deep love for Jesus. Would you stand and celebrate Taryn Ritchie as she comes to bring the word tonight? Hello. Hi, guys. Thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is a weird feeling, but so good. Awesome. So today I have chosen to talk about Esther. So she's a hero in the faith um, because she's just an amazing woman. I've always held close to my heart in the Bible. Um, And basically uh, for Esther, she's a Jewish woman. She lives in Susa and that was around 400 BC, so before Christ. And she basically grows up alongside her cousin Mordecai who raises her as a legal guardian. And basically with that, um, her parents died when she was young and then she grows up and she finds herself becoming a queen to King Ashwehus. Everybody say Ashwehus. Well done. I had to literally YouTube video how to pronounce that. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so we find she's a queen and this king, he reigns from India to Ethiopia, so a pretty big, vast land and he's known as one of the richest kings of all time. Um, So you could imagine Esther had it pretty good, right? By his side, no problems, but only for a moment. So basically what happened is one of the king's first men decided to file a decree against the Jewish people for their genocide. So just a light threat. So you can imagine right now Esther's feeling this and not a status, power or words could kind of deal with the pain that she was dealing with in this moment, finding out about what's going to happen to her people and herself, we see that she's dealing with an execution and it's out of her control. It says in scripture she was overcome with fear, fear because she had no idea what she could do. And it's just amazing because yet we get to see her and the courageous way that she puts God first in despite of her fears, her worldly fears. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because Esther may have been beautiful enough to become a queen, noble enough to hold her position and had the integrity that she landed herself in the Bible, but her courage is the most important thing, I think, for me to talk about today. So let's get into scripture. So Esther chapter 4, verse 10 to 17. I'll just read from here. Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to tell Mordecai. All the royal officials and the people spoke of the royal provinces that no one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard who has not been summoned. The death penalty. Unless the king extends the gold scepter, allowing that person to live, I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. She reports this to Mordecai. Mordecai then told the messenger to reply to Esther, Do you think that you will escape the fate of the Jews because you're in the king's palace? If you keep silent at a time like this, relief and deliverance will come from another place. But you and your family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther then replies to Mordecai, Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai did everything Esther commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. 
So from this, we can understood Esther understood courage. I mean, it may not seem like that at the start, but you can understand this is probably the normal process that she went through to understand what courage is. Initially, she was overcome with fear, and we can kind of understand why. Whether or not she was going to petition to the king, she knew that she was facing death. Have you ever lived to stare death in the face? Basically, we get to see Esther wrestle with this reality. She doubts, and she knows that either way, if she's facing the king or the genocide, death may be the risk for her life. And I'm sure sometimes, by the miraculous grace of God, if you've survived staring death in the face, you know in these moments that you feel quite stressed and you're like trying to understand what's actually going on in this situation because you can't see where there is a way. And some of us in this situation will run away, will freeze, will turn to other things to help us suppress the pain and wrestle. And I think we do get to see Esther wrestle with this because we get to see that she freezes. But it's so great because we get to see the one person who knows her best, her legal guardian, Mordecai. He calls her out. He says, you need to take responsibility for this, personal responsibility to realise that it may actually be in God's will to call you out in courage this time. And it's so amazing because because of their relationship, she obeyed. And she obeyed not only to Mordecai but to God. And it's so amazing because she accepts her fate, she acts in despite of her fears, and by the end of her words in Scripture, it says she's willing to risk her life for it, and she does. And this is what courage is, which is a good move on her behalf because this is what changed the game for her story, for the Bible that it's in today. So Esther works with Mordecai, her church, and they say, let's gather our people, you and me, and let's pray for three days. Let nothing enter me but God's presence, three days, nothing else. It's so beautiful. She says, let us spend time with the Lord and submit this to him. So the first thing she does is pray because she knows there's nothing else she can do. And there's something so freeing about this. Because when you are able to invest your time in God and you put him first, she's able to access his ever-freeing peace. This peace that can only be found in the daring Daring people who are willing to stand out in courage when God calls them to. Because she knew that being courageous, she wasn't going to be alone in this battle. Somebody was going to be holding her hand through it and she was able to do it with her people as well. She knew that what she was doing was good for her people, but she also knew that the chance for freedom was worth more than the cost itself. And this is amazing because you get to see the ending. It's heroic and amazing. She goes before the king and he extends the gold scepter. He listens and then Mordecai and Esther get to work to make a counter decree that saved the Jews. And it's just amazing and so good. And yeah, you get to see that she has not only this heroic king's favour, but the true king's favour, God. But this is uh, as great as the ending of Esther is. And she is a Bible hero. This is just the beginning for our story. Courage is something that we have a strength for in the face of pain or grief. It's acting in despite of your fears. How often do we think of strength or acting when we are in grief or fear? Yet we see in the world today that people get so caught up in pain and suffering about doing something else, about what people think of them, where we should go, where we should run, how do we work What are people going to say of us? What should we do instead to distract ourselves? But the thing is, for a follower of God, 
trusting God and being courageous and stepping out is a full submission to him. It's acting in despite. It's being faithful. And if we get caught up in this world, the hard truth is it's still a submission, my friends. It's a submission to the world, not God. And in this situation, we fear God less than the world. And that's not what God wants for our lives, church. God wants us to be faithful through being courageous. He wants, to step up. he wants us to step out of our comfort zone. Why? Because where I am now and where God wants me in his direction, the space between is God's peace. It's God's presence. He's trying to identify and grow us in the identity of Christ. And that's what he wants for our life. Yes. Esther was beautiful and God used it to make her a queen. But the reason she lived was her courage. Her courage is the reason she lived. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but the woman who fears the Lord will forever be praised. Say fear the Lord, guys. Thanks, Eric. PTSD all over again. Fear of the Lord means having a deep respect, reverence and awe for God's power and authority. How beautiful is that? Deep respect, reverence and awe for God's power and authority. Guys, I want to be somebody who fears the Lord more than the world. Church, I want you to be somebody who fears the Lord more than the world. Can we do that for our friends, our family, those we love? Because the thing is, Esther feared the Lord more than her worldly king. She didn't start there. But it took her time to realize that when she presses into the Lord, prays and fasts with her people, she elevated God higher than the world itself. And that's where we need to be. We need to say, less of me, more of you, Jesus. And this is the way. This is the thing. God made it easy for us to be courageous. He made it easier for us to step out. Because what happened is he humbled himself and brought his only son into the world, Jesus, which is the ultimate act of courage. The ultimate act of courage. Jesus' willing death on the cross was the ultimate act of courage because he knew what he was going to do is more help for his people. He knew if he had the chance to save people from sin and death itself, it was willing to do that for the freedom more than the cost itself, dying on the cross. And this is good because this means that we can look to Jesus and follow what it's like to be courageous. He spent time with his disciples trying to teach them how to be courageous. And now we get to be doing the same. See, courageous takes, being courageous takes practice. It's not something that we can start out with the Esther-level decision-making of courage. But one day, friends, you may be in that place. So what are you going to do to get there? Because courage can start small. It can start with even just choosing Jesus today. I believe if you choose Jesus, you are being courageous in Christ. And that's what we want to do. Because choosing Jesus takes courage. And choosing to follow him takes courage. Choosing to invest in your spiritual life takes courage. Doing things like internship takes courage. And before you know it, you're going along a path and you're building up your courage. There is strength in that, friends. There is strength in that when we are in grief and suffering. This is where we want to be. God will come through every single time when this happens. Because who do you turn to? Not the world, God. Let's fear the Lord more than the world. Imagine if Esther didn't step out in courage. 
She would not have done the things she ended up doing. The story would have gone extremely different and she would not have been in the Bible and I would not have been talking about her today. Friends, this can be your story too. This can be something where you can write to your testimony to those around you that you love, that you want to know Jesus by stepping out in courage, showing people that you trust in the Lord. That is what we want to do. We want to be able to say, actually, I do believe in Jesus and I do believe that he is going to provide. I do believe that even when I'm staring death in the face, there is a way. So I'm just going to read quickly from John 31 to 33. Jesus is with his disciples and before he dies on the cross, after about three years of them courageously following Jesus, he says to them, Do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered from his home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. I love this so much. I just keep coming back to this. And I even loved this verse before I started preaching. And I realized how God was already telling me that I need to say this today. Because the thing is, Jesus says, yeah, I'm not alone. He knew what was happening. He was willing to risk it. He was willing to die on the cross for us. And basically he said, it's okay though, because I know I'm not alone because the Father is with me. Let's have that amount of trust. How can you trust God? And then he follows the word saying, I've told you this so you may have peace. May their peace be in the daring, daring people that are willing to step out and courage because we can, no matter where we are, no matter our circumstances, we can do it, church. And we can do it not alone because Father is with me, but also us as church. The word encourage means literally to help people bring courage to their potential and call it out in them. Like Adelaide was saying, Mike called potential out in Adelaide. We can do that for each other. Let's work with each other to be courageous. And it's so beautiful because Jesus is pretty real. Um, and he's like, you will have suffering in this world. We will. Everybody has issues. Everybody has problems. We're all going through hard things that we don't talk about. But how often do we actually bring it to Jesus' feet? How often do we say, actually, I'm actually just going to pray and fast for three days instead of binge eating or drinking or, you know, hiding in my home? Like, how often do we actually intentionally spend time with God, even know that we don't know what we can do about our situations? And the most beautiful thing is, he says, be courageous, with an exclamation mark, so you can tell Jesus is yelling by now. He's like, be courageous, because he has conquered the world. And that is so beautiful. And this has been put on my heart, because I have had to learn how to be courageous this year. I have learned how to constantly step out in faith, no matter what's going on, you put God first. And do you know what? It's worked every single time. Yeah. So, yeah, I just want you guys to consider what is something God has put on your heart that you need to be courageous in? Is it somebody you have to talk to? Is it something that you have to do? Is it something you have to ask God for? Or is it just basic practices of spiritual discipline? What is it? Because you should do it. Every time you step out, God will move in your space. He will fill your space. You'll go larger in identity of Christ. And it's worth it every single time. Be courageous because Jesus has already conquered the world. He's made it easy for us to step out in faith. So good, Taz.
Unbelievable. What has God put in your heart that you need to be courageous in? It's a challenge for everyone here. What has God put in your heart that you need to be courageous in? Well, our next preacher, I'm very, very excited. There's, there's very few people I know that have a combination of passion and depth that Eric has. That is, he has a, a passion for life that mostly works his way out in really good ways and sometimes in hair choices. <laughs> and he has a depth of love for the Word of God that is inspiring and something that draws out the best in others. So would you just stand to your feet and welcome and cheer on Eric Marshall as he comes to bring the Word of God. Thank you. You guys can grab a seat. Uh, It is such an honour. to be able to be here on this platform today. Um, Over the last year that I've called this church and this family home, I've been able to sit in these seats and see so many amazing pastors, preachers, and passionate people of God come and bring the word from this platform. And so it's such an honor to join those ranks here today. Um, All righty, let's jump into it. So... Who here has heard the phrase, do a job you love and you'll never work a day of your life? Yeah? Right, I want you to put your hands up if you're currently working a job that you enjoy. I'm really glad to see Jenny and Mike's hands went up there. Like if everyone else was just... All righty, now leave those hands up if that job is hard work. Alrighty, put your hands down. I reckon that just proves a really good point, that fulfilling work can still be hard work. And David knew what it was like to do hard work. Right before this story, and we see in there a glimpse of it, that David's out in the fields working as a shepherd boy. He's working for his father, faithfully tending to his dad's sheep. Can you imagine what that would have been like to come into that room from your shift out in the field and be told, oh, hey, you're going to be the king of Israel coming up? Like, I tried to put it in perspective of our day today. I was like, imagine working at Macca's, right? Because I'm from the city. Macca's, shepherd, kind of the same thing. (laughs) Um, But you're working at Macca's, casual, on the fryers, and some guy in a suit comes up and points at you, and says, I need to talk to you. So you get the okay with the boss. You go out in the restaurant and you have a chat with this guy and he offers you a six-figure job starting tomorrow. I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't even go back inside. I'd just go out like, right, I've got my job tomorrow. But that's not what David does here. What David does is after being anointed as the future king of Israel, and not just any king, a king sent by God, what does he do? He goes back out to the fields to faithfully serve. A little while later in this chapter, Saul, the current king of Israel, the guy whose job David's lined up to get, needs a skillful musician because he's got a harmful spirit sent by God, and a musician is the only way that that's going to go away for him. And David ends up being called into the courts of the king, ends up being the armour-bearer of the king. 
And even after being the musician for the king and the armor bearer, what does he do? He goes back out to the fields, continues working with the sheep and continues faithfully working for his father. I just want to tell a little story about myself back in 2017. Uh, I'd just gotten back from a little under a year and a half living in the UK. Best time ever. Million and one stories. Not all of them great. But I'd love to share with you them at a later date. But I'd just got back and I was so excited. I had a job contract with a, the same company working just an hour out of Melbourne and I was so excited to pack my life up in my car and drive over and it was going to be the best thing ever, like Fresh Start 2.0 because um, Fresh Start 1.0 was moving to London. Um, and then about a week or so before I was due to head over, it all collapsed. There were issues with the contract and I wasn't heading over. And to be honest, I was devastated. Um, those next three months of being at home up in the Barossa and not getting work were three of the toughest months of my life. I did a really good job of hiding it from absolutely everyone, but that was some of the lowest weeks of my life. It felt like every business in the Barossa had my resume twice. Like, that's how bad it was. That's how desperate it was. Now, if you know me and you know me well, you know that spontaneous is definitely a word to describe me. Um, just ask anyone who calls Encounter Home how I got the nickname Egric, and you'll understand that spontaneity is one of my strong suits. And so, on a whim, with a week's notice, I book a one-way ticket back to London. That, that's not all. It, it gets better. I go back to London with the promise of a job trial at a bar. Keep in mind, I've never worked in a bar or pub in my life. So, job trial, bar, organised through a gum tree <laughs> with a guy whose name I didn't even know. So, like, none of this is adding up to a good story, but then again, spontaneity. So, I get over there and, as you'd expect, it flopped. Like, I was terrible, let's be honest. Um, but all of a sudden, I was lost again, just this time in another country with even less money, less direction, didn't know what I was doing. Um, and it was really hard. And so I did the only thing that I could think to do in that moment, which was turn to God and basically just desperately cry out and go, God, help. What am I doing? I need your help. I can't do it by myself. And God came through big time. The specifics of it are something I'd love to have a chat with some of you afterwards um, about how God just blessed me so much more than I could have even ever believed or hoped for. But why do I share that with you? When Jenny and Mike approached us in terms to, yeah, to preach on Heroes of the Faith, like I said at the start, I was immediately drawn to David and it didn't click why until just this last week. David, all throughout the Bible, is described as someone who is a man after God's own heart. 
It was someone who knew what it meant to love God and to live that out in action. We see all through the book of Psalms that he knows what it means to have a lived-out faith, one with all the ecstatic highs that faith brings and the crushing lows that life can bring. And later on down the track, he does end up becoming the anointed king of Israel, the greatest earthly king that Israel ever had in their history. But all of that had to start somewhere for David, for this rugged shepherd boy. And I really believe that this moment I'm about to share with you is the moment that did it for David. For me in London, my breakthrough moment came when things that I thought were useless from high school, my work, the connections I'd made, the people I'd worked for, those things suddenly came in real handy when I was in the UK. Turns out that having Maggie Beer as your first boss is a good thing. Um, But these are things that I'd dismissed and thought were nothing, thought were just fun, trivial things for the time, but had no real meaning or purpose in my life. And all of a sudden, overnight, God took those things and ended up using them for his glory and for my good. In this next chapter, David and Goliath... I dare say that many of us in this room have heard some kind of version of David and Goliath, uh, whether it's in our kids' storybooks or we've gone and we've heard sermons on it before. Um, it's a story, again, that I really encourage you to read for yourself. There's so much gold in here that goes far beyond just the battle of David and Goliath. And in it, David faces a giant. Now, just to be clear, I'm talking about a literal giant here. Goliath was nine foot tall. And here we have this rugged shepherd boy who comes down to give his brothers and his dad and the king supplies that they need. He's been sent to them. And he feels this prompting on his heart from God to step forward, to step forward in faith and say, Saul, my king, I will take down Goliath. And Saul, understandably, turns to his servant, to his armor-bearer, and says, I don't know about that. Maybe not a great idea. Um, You're a bit young, you can't even hold a sword. Let's think again. And then David makes this impassioned speech, which, yeah, every time I've been reading this in the last couple of days, just trips me up in the best way possible. But David faithfully gets up, And he says, your servant, that's David, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if they rose against me, I caught them by its beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And this for me is why David is a hero of the faith. 
Yes, he does all these amazing things, incredible testimonies. Later on in his life, you could preach on David for weeks and weeks and not be any close to finishing. But for me, it's this moment right here that marks him as a hero of the faith because he realises that even though he's not trained, he's not counselled, he doesn't have the right equipment, the right education, the right background, he has exactly what he needs in this moment. He has the equipping that can only come from God. But then what about us? It's easy to read this and think, cool, yeah, that's nice for David. He was a shepherd boy. He, you know, was used to using a sling, and that was his background. But what about us? What I keep on coming back to, or what I really feel that God is wanting to say to all of us tonight, is that it's time for us to put down the swords and the shields of this world and pick up the weapons of faith that God has already provided us with. One of the amazing things about this is that this whole thing for David would not have worked for anyone else. But because it was David, he was able to go in there and defeat Goliath with the experiences that God had already lined him up with. He was able to go with the tools that God had already equipped him with. And so, church, your current position does not determine your ultimate victory. God is using and shaping your current experiences right now to shape your future to come. There are things coming along the path, some bad, some good, but those things are coming. God is giving you tools now and has been giving you tools already to overcome those things in his strength. God is using you now. He is equipping you right now. He is giving all of us the tools that we need right now in this moment to overcome what is ahead with God's strength to guide us. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.